I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Gordon Lawson, CEO at Conceal, provider of an intelligence-grade zero-trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more about our sponsor, Conceal, visit conceal.io. Also joining us is Paul Connolly, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at HCA Healthcare, a Fortune 100 company and one of the nation's leading providers of healthcare services comprised of 182 hospitals and 2,300 sites of care in 20 states and the United Kingdom. Paul, welcome. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you. My pleasure. Gordon, great to have you back with us as well. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. So, Paul, you're presently the CSO for a Fortune 100 healthcare provider that serves tens of millions of patients a year. Uh, You're one of the few people who, every time you're on, I ask you to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background because, uh, you know, it's so worthy to listen to you. I know you were the first ever information security officer at the White House. Uh, That was a role I believe you held for eight years under three presidents. So tell us about that and your background. Well, well, thank you. I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit I've just had a very fortunate career and been able to work for some great organizations that really support this work. So I, I count myself as extremely lucky. But out, out of college, I had an opportunity to work at the National Security Agency, which is another great organization. And um, I was part of an assessment team that studied the security of White House systems, kind of the national security side of the White House and had a bunch of recommendations. And one of them was that you, they needed to start a program and have somebody in charge. And, and the CISO title didn't even exist back then. They called it the ISO, Information Security Officer. So I was detailed um, as from NSA on a two-year assignment to build it up, get things going. And part of my job was to help lead a process where they would choose my successor and someone who would permanently be in the role because I was still a fairly junior person. And they went through all these interviews and came back to me and said, you know, we don't like anybody as much as we like you. And so they offered me the opportunity to stay. So I, I ended up staying there actually nine years and worked under Presidents Reagan, Bush and Clinton. And as you can imagine, it was an incredible experience. Um, every, every single time I walked through those big iron gates onto the 18 acres, I, I felt a chill and um, had the opportunity to interact with incredible people and senior leaders of the country, of the company, the country, excuse me, uh, travel all over the country, did a bit of world travel in that role as well. Plus the big thing, just getting a chance to build a program from the ground up. It was just an extraordinary experience that's carried forward. Lessons learned have carried forward through my whole career. Well, Gordon, given your background, I know how much you appreciate people uh, with the type of experience that Paul brings. Uh, we, we don't see uh, nearly as many as we'd like to. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background, Gordon, just because it is relevant to uh, to Paul's. Absolutely, Steve. So I currently see the CEO of Conceal, Conceal.io, based in Augusta, Georgia. But I started my career as a, as a naval officer. Um, I was assigned to a, a destroyer. Um, doing anti-submarine work and, and a navigator. And so I got to spend some really interesting time doing that. Um, and then I also spent a little bit of time with DIA. But I feel like cyber was always at the forefront of those of those kind of operational deployments post 9-11. And so we're seeing, especially now, you see things like Nord Stream, you see a mix of cyber 
and kinetic naval warfare going on. And so I think it the, the experience is just like Paul's, where you're part of that national security establishment, helps you to apply really strong lessons to the challenges we face now in industry. So, Gordon, we're going to be talking about healthcare and cybersecurity today. And I, I mean, truly, I've talked to so many people. I don't know if anybody knows it better than Paul does. But before we hear from him, this is a critically important uh, industry for all of us. Uh, including the vendor community to serve and protect uh, our nation's hospitals, our nation's healthcare providers. What are the unique challenges when it comes to defending these organizations uh, from, in your opinion, Gordon? Well, well, first off, I think uh, there's so much trust that the general public puts in their healthcare providers. And there's just an expectations that hospitals are going to be up and running and providing great service and protecting people's information and their, their personal data. And so that's, that's a, a high bar for any organization. Uh, and, and certainly I think the other piece that we're seeing here is that threat actors, whether those are nation states or criminal gangs, view just the plethora of data that a healthcare organization has as a, as a very strong target. And that's why you've seen the increase in ransomware attacks on, on healthcare organizations up 69% this year. Uh, you've seen some very, very high profile uh, breaches and ransomware payments as well. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough job in any industry, but I think just the amount of trust that people put into the hosp- their hospital and their hospital systems is, is vitally important, and we have to do our best to, to defend against and, and protect that. So, Paul, I don't think we can have a conversation about healthcare and cybersecurity without ransomware coming up. And I, and I am curious to know, uh, given the attacks we've seen uh, over the past three to four years, I think the last time we checked in with you was about a year or so ago, is this something that now has risen to the board level, to the C-suite level? Are they having conversations about uh, that? And I don't mean necessarily at your organization, but at healthcare providers in general? I, w- I would definitely think so. I, I know um, I'm, I'm fortunate to work for a CEO who's always been very heavily engaged on cybersecurity, and, and we regularly discuss current threats with him and uh, hold tabletop exercises with him. Um, and that extends to his whole leadership team and ransomware, as you can imagine, as part of any kind of tabletop exercise that we do. Um, and, and the board perspective, I mean, I, I've been giving updates to our board for 20 years, but over the past, I would say probably six to seven years, it's gone from an, like an annual general update to quarterly, very specific updates. And we've really ratcheted up the awareness and uh, understanding of cybersecurity among our board members through training. And, you know, we, last year we did a, a tabletop exercise with our, our board that involved ransomware. So we have really tried to make them aware and they recognize it as a, a really key risk in the health, healthcare industry. So they give it a lot of attention. So, Gordon, I asked you previously, you know, why healthcare, and just to build on that a little bit, uh, aside from uh, the data, the valuable data that uh, hospitals have, are, are there any other uh, reasons that healthcare is a target? Uh, does any of it get to uh, a perceived uh, lack of uh, talent? You know, we're in the midst of a labor crunch. Uh, hospitals may not necessarily be, quote, cutting edge or where uh, most cybersecurity professionals want to go to work. And I'm just speculating here and Paul, you could probably build on this, but you know, what, what is it that makes these hospitals and healthcare providers such a target? Because statistically we're looking at at least a minimum of three to four 
ransomware attacks on hospitals compared to uh, other organizations? I think from my perspective, Steve, not all hospital systems are built the same. And, and I've had the pleasure of working with Paul's team in the past. He has an incredibly robust SOC, some of the most talented cyber defenders I've ever, I've ever seen in my career. Um, but you know, there's much smaller systems across the country, right, who don't have the resources to staff up like that. And, and uh, they're probably very, very reliant on a service provider or some, o- some other resources to make sure that they're, that they're at the right levels to, pr- to provide that defense within the organization. Um, but but I, I think it does go back to the data. And I think one of the unique things with healthcare, which is probably different than other industries, and, and Paul, I know you, you, you could talk on this probably uh, much, much more in depth than I, I can, but there's only a couple systems out there that are really designed to host healthcare da- data, right? And there's only a couple software systems that really have the the robustness that's needed. And so I think that that makes vectors maybe a little bit easier. And then also think about the way providers enter data and and whether you're a doctor or nurse or an administrator, you are online, you're interacting every day, uh, probably more than maybe even other industries. And I think that 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 vector allows for some vulnerabilities as well. So I think there's, there's some unique aspects there, but I do think the data's a crucial piece of it. And I just want to maybe draw an analogy here, something that's recently in the news with the breach of the Los Angeles Unified School District, where these threat actors from a Russian-speaking organization were able to access, I think, 500 gigabytes of, of data, including student social security numbers, credit card info. These are minors and now the, there's the potential that their credit history could be compromised before they're even in a place where they're getting a credit history. And so data is very, very valuable and the threat actors continue to demonstrate that with their actions. So Paul, how do you answer the question? I'm sure you you get it. Uh, we certainly get it enough and, and can't answer it the way you can. Why healthcare? Why are hospitals and healthcare providers uh, such a target? I, I agree with everything that, that Gordon said. And there's this element of criticality when, you, when you're talking about the safety of patients, that uh, there's just, just less tolerance for uh, loss of access to systems or loss of integrity of data. So, so it, it creates a, um, a kind of a, a, a criticality factor that I think comes into play. Uh, we have high dependency on third parties and um, very valuable data, as Gordon said. And, and um, we're dealing with a large population. Gordon talked about how much time our providers, our caregivers are online, and we want them to be focused on their patients. We don't want them to be focused, having to worry about security. So it's it's kind of that challenge of trying to be transparent and not, uh, not blocking the ability to take care of our patients. So Paul, setting aside ransomware, what, what are your biggest worries about cybercrime and how it can impact healthcare organizations? And again, I want to emphasize, we're, you know, we're talking about the healthcare industry more broadly. Uh, you're a Fortune 500 or actually a Fortune 100 company. Uh, there's only so many, uh, you know, super large healthcare providers in the country. A lot of these hospitals are regional. Uh, they're smaller. They don't have the uh, type of resources that the large organizations have. So, you know, what, what's the worry? What's the concern for these providers? 
And you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there's a lot of other caregivers that don't have some of the advantages of, of the scale and resources that we have. Um, I, th I think a point that Gordon made a couple questions ago when he talked about the importance of trust, um, you know, we, we not only have to worry about the safety of our patients and protecting them and making sure that the devices that we're using are, are working appropriately and the data is the, it has the full integrity so that caregivers can make their decisions on it. But anything that could impact the trust of a, of a patient from wanting to come to one of our facilities is a huge priority as well. So that you, you get beyond just the operational impacts, like even, even a breach of personal data is an impact on the trust um, that that patient is going to have with us going forward or with healthcare systems in general going forward. So we, we really have to worry about the full gamut beyond just ransomware um, breaches of data. Um, we have to worry about, as I mentioned, third parties. We really depend. Um, most healthcare organizations are very networked and we really have to depend on the third parties that we work with to do their part in protecting our systems and our data as well, um, the security of medical devices, even just the, the basic hygiene. I think the smaller the system, the more difficult it is even to just take care of the, the basic patching and uh, operating system upgrades and things like that. So um, it's really the full gamut that we've got to worry about because at the end of the day, it's not only, as I said, patient safety, but it's patient trust that's at stake. So Gordon, I want to pivot here and, and talk about, uh, you know, recruiting and retaining cybersecurity professionals. And before I ask Paul, you know, specifically about the healthcare space, I want to ask you to just, you know, frame things for us. Is it getting any better? We ask this same question to CISOs at major enterprises, mid-market companies over and over and over again. And we almost always hear, no, it's not. Um, but Gordon, you know, tell us, you know, where are we? Well, Steve, I think there's some, I, I, I try and be positive on this because I know the stat that, that we all talk about is, I think it's almost 4 million unfilled jobs expected by 2025. I mean, that number seems, it's, it's very, very high. But I think there's some great things that are going on in the community. Uh, there, we recently had a B-Sides event in Augusta that was uh, very, very well attended. Uh, had young people there learning how to do red and blue team events uh, Carnegie Mellon has just put out a great online program, kind of a uh, yeah, hackathon for, uh, for, for, for really all age groups, but really geared towards high schoolers. And I think that sort of hands-on hands -on keyboard uh, practical expertise is just so vital. So I'm encouraged seeing what, what is out there and, and how, how kids can get into this. And not just kids, but mid-career professionals who realize that if you can get into cyber, you really can have a very, very nice career for a long time. Uh, so, so I'm encouraged by it, but there's a lot of work to do. And I think it also goes back to HC, you know, HCA is a, a hospital system that has some in, incredible resources and, and hires some incredible folks, but we need to be able to, to spread that out and make sure that uh, smaller organizations are also able to recruit and there's enough folks out there to, to go to those as well. Um, so it's getting better, but it's still, still going to be a challenge, Steve. So, Paul, for the first time uh, just a few months ago uh, that we put out a report looking at uh, the labor pool in the cybersecurity industry, uh, and, and this ties into some of Gordon's comments, we're not seeing the problem getting any worse. It's, it's a major uh, challenge right now, 
but we're not seeing the steady progression that we had of more and more and more unfilled positions. We need to fill the positions that we have, but for the first time, we're starting to see a better pipeline. We're starting to see more graduates coming out of schools with uh, four-year and two-year degrees where they have more tangible cybersecurity experience. So I guess two questions for you, Paul. Uh, you know, first off, just generally, you know, recruiting more experienced uh, people and retaining them, the people who, who are working for you now and who are in other healthcare systems. And then the second question, uh, what are you seeing insofar as entry-level positions, uh, kids coming out of schools? I think to the point that, that Gordon made, it seems like we're starting to see the beginning of the effects of some of these programs to try to get people interested in this field earlier. It, it seems like historically, a lot of people would go into IT and then they would find that they really like the security side and they, they move over. Now it seems like people are getting into the security side earlier. And, and we're adjusting as well. We used to always be looking for people that already had, you know, a certain number of years of experience. And now we've, we're doing much more with internships and people coming right out of college and trying to develop our, our own uh, kind of skills mix with, within the team. So it, I do see some signs. It's still very difficult and takes a long time, it seems, to fill every position that we have. One, one of the neat things about Health, the healthcare industry that I think all of us in healthcare have that's kind of a, a secret weapon is that uh, when, when you work in healthcare, it, it's a noble cause. You know, you're doing something important. It's like somebody serving in the military or serving on the police force or being a school teacher. There are certain roles that there's just a noble cause, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it. And so we have a lot of people who are just very passionate about the fact that not only are they in cybersecurity and they're fighting bad guys, but they're doing it for an organization that's taking care of people. So um, that's something that I do think attracts people into healthcare as well. So, Paul, when we talk about healthcare, we're, we inevitably talk about healthcare insurance, uh, you know, for individuals, for businesses. When we talk about cybersecurity, uh, cyber insurance doesn't come up as much, but uh, it's, you know, one area of protection, how important is that um, at you know uh, healthcare providers, uh, and not just for large ones, but for mid-market and smaller providers? I, I think it is an important way of managing the risk, and um, I, I would think that probably for the smaller you are, the more important it is. I, I've I've seen some news recently about large financial services companies going down the path of self-insuring themselves on the cyber side. And, and I think you, you need a certain critical mass to be able to do that. So for the, for the rest of us, it, there is a dependency. If that's the way you choose to manage your risk, that you're going to depend on cyber insurance. Uh, the way we look at it is we try not to make it a factor in our program. It's a business decision that the company makes from a risk management perspective, as opposed to something that we depend on in our program. You know, one other thing I would say about it is going through the process of getting cyber insurance these days has become almost like going through a, a really significant independent audit. I mean, the underwriters really want to know everything about how you protect yourself uh, so that they can set the appropriate uh, underwriting standards or, or you know, premiums. And uh, that has become a, a really healthy process to go through. So 
Um, I, I'm, I'm a believer in it, but again, each organization has to make their decision on how they're addressing the risk. So Gordon, your company uh, and you in particular, I mean, for o- over your career, the you know, past number of years, we've had a lot of conversations. You've worked with so many CISOs in so many different industries, but what is it that you have to say uh, inc- after listening to Paul today as well to healthcare CISOs in particular? Well, I, I think that this, the, the, in order to get the best posture for for any organization, large or small, I think that there's just a couple of fundamentals. And I and I think we we didn't say this word, but I'm sure it's something that Paul is talks about with his team is this idea of zero trust. Uh, you know, nine out of ten of these breaches are probably going to be user based or identity based, and so you have to be able to have systems that protect that user for when something makes it through perimeter controls because the vectors are evolving very quickly and they're probably going to make it through perimeter controls. But I think you have to have that concept of, of, of leash privilege access, a zero trust architecture, the hygiene that Paul talked about in terms of continuous patching. All of those things are just super important technically. And I think that all of that is under an umbrella of educate your people about how nefarious and how clever these tactics are now. Uh, we are well past the days of misspelled phishing attacks. They will look like me or Paul. They'll look like an executive when they're coming after you. It's going to be very hard to tell the difference. And, and we need to make sure that folks are, are prepared for that when it, for when it really happens. So, Paul, any uh, you know, closing remarks or uh, feedback for your peers and for uh, CISOs at you know, smaller healthcare enterprises who are uh, surely watching this? I guess the one thing I would say is we're all in this together. I mean, to a point that you made earlier, not everybody has the, the resources of larger organizations, but um, I'm a strong believer in the health ISAC and other ways that we share information and support one another. Uh, th- there's really not competitors when it comes to cybersecurity. We, we all want to benefit and anything we can do to help anyone else, we want to do that. Gordon, Paul, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. This interview is sponsored by Conceal, provider of an intelligence-grade zero-trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more, visit conceal.io. You can keep up with all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com.